What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan, and today is a takeaways episode. And if you're new here, what a takeaways episode is, is where I sit down and I talk to you about the most recent podcast episode of the week. And today, we're discussing my conversation with Drew Cohen. Now, if you haven't had a chance to listen to the full podcast yet, Drew is the founder and owner of Cohen Media. And Cohen Media is a marketing agency that specializes in working with professional athletes to help them grow and develop their personal brand, primarily through the use of social media to help them acquire sponsorships and brand deals and just grow their profile while they're playing the game. Of course, they have some additional clients as well, but that's where most of our my conversation with Drew was centered when it came to his agency specifically. We also talked a little about his work that he did with Charlie Rocket Jabbly, who's a, I don't even know how you would describe Charlie Jabbly. He's an entrepreneur, a motivational speaker. He used to manage two chains and then he had a brain tumor and then he decided that he was going to beat the brain tumor and then he did beat the brain tumor and then he decided he's going to become a Nike athlete and he filmed a video that was like a Nike commercial. Nike saw it, picked him up, and then he became a Nike athlete. I mean, if you haven't heard or learned of Charlie Rocket yet, I would hi- I highly recommend you look him up. But as we also talked about his time with Charlie Rocket, and then we talked about some of his time before running his own agency and the time he spent with another agency, and even the time in college and the business he ran in college. Drew is a really interesting dude, and he doesn't do a lot of podcasts like this, as far as I'm aware. Um, so it was a really it was a fun opportunity for me to get the chance to sit down and talk to him about just everything. And it's always fun for me when I sit down to research for someone and there's not a ton out there. Like it's very different prepping for a podcast with a guy like Drew versus prepping for a podcast with someone that's like a YouTuber that has put out up to hundreds of videos of documenting their life and their process. And there's just so much information out there. They've been on tons of podcasts drew there wasn't much out there and it's always a fun challenge for me to try and figure out how i'm going to put the pieces together of this person's life to come up with the narrative for the podcast and what was funny is i remember i didn't have as many notes as i normally do sitting down for this podcast with drew they usually have around six for drew i believe i had around four maybe four and a half and i remember being like oh it's probably a shorter podcast probably 45 minutes to an hour is my assumption I actually went for an hour and 45 minutes so you really never know what's going to happen when i when you sit down and do these interviews and one other thing too that i know like actually just another story about drew so drew was actually originally supposed to be guest number 99 and he texted me a few probably a week before we were supposed to record he goes hey I have this client that i think would be awesome for your podcast his name's lee elias would you like check him out let me know what you think and I was like, absolutely. So I ended up moving the podcast with Drew a few weeks to sit down and talk to Lee. But I'm glad that I was finally able to talk with Drew and I had quite a few takeaways from my conversation with him. And the first one being, so Drew runs a successful agency. He's has some pretty high profile clients. Like I said, like Charlie Rocket's a big one. He works with uh, Vincent Trocek. He works with a couple of Washington Nationals players, a couple of um NHL players and prospects. He works with, uh, I believe, Bryce Salvador. I believe he doesn't work with Larry Flowers, who's a high-profile jeweler who works with a lot of professional NHL players and professional professional hockey players. And so he's got he's built out a solid agency for himself, and with some pretty impressive clients. But what was curious? So he spent about two years before working for his own agency. Like it just kind of happened incrementally. But before that, he spent time working with. A marketing agency and i asked him if if it was if he like regretted that time and kind of the sentiment of what drew said is that he didn't regret that time he 
it was important for him in his life to develop over those two years, both as a human being and as a marketer, just to kind of grow his skills, grow his talents, that when he finally was ready to take his own agency full-time, he had that two years of experience. And I've had some people ask me a similar question with taking my own business full-time now. I didn't work in an agency beforehand. I worked in sports beforehand, but now I run my own marketing agency. Again, my agency is a little bit different from what Drew does, but people, I've been asked, do I regret those three years? And I don't. And I think those are very formative years in my life. And I got a similar vibe from, from Drew when he was talking about his time in the marketing agency, that it was an important time. It was important. He learned a lot during those two years that have benefited him now having his own agency. And I think that that is an important thing to remember. I feel like a lot of people, they they want to get to their their desired, like not their end goal, because I know this isn't Drew's end goal, but they want to get to the next step as fast as possible. Well, I understand that and I'm very much the same way. You also have to learn and you have to grow. And sometimes you're stuck, you're not stuck, but sometimes you're in the process and the process is important. You're going to learn a lot by actually doing it and going through it. That's going to pay off down the line. And that actually leads me to the next takeaway that Drew, I think this is what he said this near the very end of the podcast. And he said that you have to enjoy the journey. That was one of his takeaways. Enjoy the journey. I think that's so important. And a lot of people say, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Like that's a saying you hear from time to time. I disagree with that. I think no matter what you do, there's going to be hard times. There's going to be days where you're putting in a lot of work. I really like my job. I run my own marketing agency. That's cool. But there's quite a, there's days where it's hard. It's a lot of work. It's long hours. I don't want to be doing it at 9 p.m. on a Wednesday night. I'd rather be hanging out, playing video games or working on this podcast. But there's work that has to get done. And I'm not like absolutely smiling the entire time because it's hard work. But overall, the journey of having my own business and doing this is what's fun for me. And that's what I try. That's how I've explained it previously on these takeaways episodes. I've said how you're never going. It's very, very, very rare to love every single step of a process. There's going to be a part you hate. If you're an entrepreneur, there's probably a chance you don't really like the accounting component. So you either have to pay someone or if you're doing it yourself, you're just not you don't like dealing with that but you love everything else that comes with being an entrepreneur. There's going to be things you're not going to like along the way, but you have to make sure you're enjoying the process. And with that too, you don't want to be working just for the end goal. You want to be working because you like the work. And that's where people, I think, get it twisted. And I think a lot of kids today, myself included growing up, I was like this. You want to be a YouTuber, but you don't fully like you don't fully understand what that means and the work required to be a YouTuber and the work required to get there. And people don't want to put in the work to get there. They just want to be there. They want to be a YouTuber. They don't want to actually film 300 videos and dedicate five, 10,000 hours of their life to do this. They just want that end result. And I think that if you don't enjoy the journey, then you're not going to be happy because a journey is a lot takes up a lot more time than the end result. Even looking at this podcast, I would love if this podcast was a substantial portion of my income. I want to say, it's like, I, I don't usually say job. Actually, now I'm, I'm calling myself up. I never actually say I want the podcast to be my job because I don't think I want the podcast to be my only thing, but I would like it to be a substantial portion of my income. And with that, I have to love this process. This has been over a hundred episodes, over two years of work hard work every single week I put in. I've, I probably say every takeaways now at this point, how many hours each week, like 10 hours a week on this podcast every week for two years. 
And you may be like, well, 10 hours a week, like whatever, that's not even a part-time job. True. But I also work a full-time job, an overtime, and I have a life and I have to try and be social. So it's, it's not just like a, a casual 10 hours. It's like I come home later. I finish like previously in my old job, I come home late or I finish working my new job late and I have three hours left of my day and I spend two and a half hours of that doing a podcast and it's a lot of work. But if I don't love the journey, if I'd, let's put it, if I'd been doing this work just for the end result, I would have given up a long time ago. I love the journey. I love the chance to sit down with a new person every single week, learn their story every single week. And if I didn't, I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't be doing it right now. If I didn't like, it is currently a Saturday night. It's 8.34 p.m. on Saturday, September 5th. There's a lot of other things I could be doing with my Saturday night, but instead I decided, you know what? I'm going to record a takeaways episode right now because I want to, because this is fun for me. It's part of the journey to do this take this episode. It's not getting to the point where I have thousands, hundreds of thousands of fans that watch and download every single podcast. I'm not there. I don't have thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars rolling in because of this podcast. I'm not there either. There's no, the payoff is the work that I'm getting to do, which is a weird thing to say, but if you don't love the work, then you're not going to love the end result. You're not going to make it to the end result if you don't love the journey. Now back to Drew, that was a long tangent about loving the process, but back to Drew and one, one story that really stood out to me that I, that I loved was what he did with one of his, with one of his athletes, his first athlete, Brandon Brown, a NASCAR driver is he went on Brandon's account. And so this, what I love about this is there's twofold. There's two things I love about this. And the first thing was, so he was working with a NASCAR driver and he wanted to do collabs with other athletes within the DC area. And so Drew went on and Drew studied the sports scene, the sports landscape within Washington. And he identified other athletes in the city that liked NASCAR or liked driving fast and knew that they would probably be interested in doing a collab with Brandon. So what he did was, is he messaged these people on Brandon's account and messaged these players to collab with Brandon. And ultimately he ended up meeting a couple of Washington Nationals players and went to batting practice and he ended up being, he tagged along and was able to turn that into more clients for his business. So the two reasons I love that, I love that he did the research in advance to find people that would make a lot of sense to collaborate with Brandon. He didn't just reach out to random athletes like, hey, I'm a NASCAR driver, like I want to collab. Like he made sure to find people where it made sense. And then two, he was able to turn that opportunity into into an opportunity, uh, opportunity for his client, into an opportunity for himself as well by tagging along and meeting the players. And I just love stories like that, like early on in a business, like how you made it work and how you were able to get your next, second, third client and just the, the, the scrappiness that's involved. And I absolutely loved it. And I just want to highlight that story on here. And the next takeaway I have is actually related to Charlie Rocket, who I talked about earlier. And what the way Drew explained it is what Charlie's really good at is seeing where everyone is going, seeing an opportunity in the opposite direction and going that way. And that's really interesting. And I love that. And that where, where that sticks out to me is I've been reading a book recently on mental models. And it talks about this, this mental model, this concept called inversion, where sometimes you have to identify the opposite of what you're trying to do to find the answer. And I think I might have even mentioned it on this podcast with Drew was how 
Charlie Munger says, who's like Warren Buffett's business partner, Charlie Munger says that they haven't, him and Warren haven't been trying to be geniuses all these years. They've just tried not to be idiots and that seems to have worked for them. And so that's just the opposite of being a genius is being an idiot and they don't want to go there. And Charlie, on the other hand, he uses inversion to see where everyone's going, finds the opposite of what everyone's doing, but instead of avoiding it, he goes headfirst into it to find an opportunity. And I just think that's interesting. I always love when people are able to figure out opportunities in what, like, going the other direction. I just thought that was interesting. And I don't have too much to honestly say, but I just loved, there's something I wrote down. I honestly am blanking on it, but there's something the way Drew worded it that I loved it. But I just love that concept of going in the opposite direction and finding the opportunity. Now, the next, the next point that I wanted to talk about here was, was kind of Drew's long-term plan for his business. And this was actually something I, like, he didn't even intend to, to, to talk about on the podcast. This is like, I wasn't even sure if this was true, but basically like Drew made a post about Jay-Z becoming a billionaire because he's not just a rapper that's promoting all these other companies. Instead, he became, he's a rapper and started his own businesses instead and grew the businesses and promoted his own businesses instead of promoting other people's businesses. And Drew's, and then, so he just kind of tweeted that out about Jay-Z, but then it's very, if you just read into it pretty easily, you can tell that it's not just about Jay-Z and how excited he is for Jay-Z, but it's also the fact that athletes could be doing the exact same thing. They could be doing the exact same thing with, they could be starting their own businesses and Drew could help them grow it. He could even do a thing where he co-founds the business. He basically meets the athletes through his agency, does the marketing for them, proves he can do a good job. And then once the athletes trust him and they believe in Drew and Drew's philosophies and Drew's marketing and what Drew's capable of, then Drew can approach them to be like, hey, we need to start a business while you're a player. You don't have time to run this business. Let me run it for you. Let's co-found this business as business partners. I will work on growing this business. You don't even have to worry about it. You just have to promote it and we're going to leverage your brand and your face to get this product, get this brand out there to get people interested. We don't actually have to worry about the business side. I will take care of the business side so that once you retire, you have an established business already that you're walking into instead of trying to establish a business once you're done playing, which is a lot harder to do. You might think, well, this guy's a professional athlete, but he once the second you retire, you're a retired professional athlete, which is completely different from being an active professional athlete. Of course, it's easy for the greats, your Magic, your Magic Johnsons, your Michael Jordans, LeBron James, whenever he ultimately retires, he's going to have a very long and successful career. Your Wayne Gretzky's, the big names are able to do it. But for the average player, it's harder. So you need to be working on establishing a brand, growing your personal brand, growing a business during your career. But it's hard while you're a professional athlete. You're constantly on the road. You're always playing. You're all, you got to be practicing. It's a lot. But there's an opportunity there. And I think Drew has a tremendous opportunity with the agency he's set up where he can then build these businesses with and for the athletes. And then, of course, he's growing businesses with the help of athletes to promote it. So I think it's just a, I just, I remember reading that the Instagram post and that kind of clicking in my brain of like, holy shit, like this is probably what he's trying to do. And I just think it's genius. I think there's a tremendous opportunity. I've talked about it on this podcast before, but how I think athletes are doing a terrible job with their branding especially in hockey, especially in hockey, like basketball and football is getting a lot better, but especially in hockey. And there's a huge opportunity to start these businesses. And Drew's identified that himself. And he's taking actual steps to improving the branding of athletes and then helping them establish and grow businesses during their career to set them up for success after their playing career. And one thing he does too, which where with the agency, the next point, what the, how he refers to Cohen Media 
is he refers to it as a the it's the fan favorite factory. That's what they say about Cohen Media. And that's because the fans are important. And if, if you can create fan favorites, that's only going to lend to your ability to build brands and businesses outside of the playing service, off the ice, off the court, off the field. And if you're a fan favorite, people are going to follow you around. They're going to follow your other ventures. So if you can, so Drew's playing it very long term. As far as I know, we didn't like, we didn't like explicitly say this on the podcast, but this is my, again, these are my takeaways, guys. This is what this is. This is my interpretation of the conversations I have with my guests. But Drew's right now building fan favorites. He's taking players, he's turning them into fan favorites. And then once they have fan favorites, they have the interests of the fans of that team that are fans of this player now, then they can build businesses off the backs of them being the fan favorites. They already have the attention. So right now they're working on building the attention and solidifying it for the athlete. And then after, once they have it, they're going to start building businesses and creating wealth coming in beyond the playing career. And speaking of the fans, one thing that I feel like I begin every takeaways by saying one thing, but when we're talking about fans, one thing, one thing Drew identified was that people often forget, and this has been a theme recently within the last probably 10 episodes of the podcast, I want to say even maybe less than that, but this has come up multiple times, is showing support to the fans that you already have. Those are the easiest fans to get because they're already there. People keep mentioning how people get caught up in getting new customers, consumers, new fans, but you already have fans there and take care of those fans. And if you take care of those fans, those fans are going to become your best marketing tool. He says those fans are going to start spreading your business, your brand, your product with word of mouth. And there's no more powerful marketing tool on this planet than word of mouth. There's no, no, if you have word of mouth, if you have a friend that tells you they like a product, that's better than anything that you can put in front of that person as the company. If you can get their friend to tell you, I really like that, that maybe it's a restaurant. I really like that restaurant. Your friend's going to be more inclined to go there than if they saw a Facebook ad. Now, I'm not saying Facebook ads don't work. Of course they do. But if I'm telling you, if you're a friend recommendation will convert at a much higher percentage than a Facebook rate. Word of mouth is the most powerful marketing tool on the planet. And if you're able to take the fans, the followers you already have and work with them and work to to make them your lifelong supporters, they're going to spread your message for you. It's just going to make your life easier and it's going to be more cost effective than trying to get new fans. I recently listened to, this is, I listened to a, I recently watched a video of a Brian Chesky interview, who's the co-founder of Airbnb from 2015. And he did an interview, did something with uh, Greylock Partners, which is a VC firm. They did a thing in 2015 called Blitz Scaling. And they basically had Brian there and he was talking to students at Stanford, Stanford, I believe. And, um, and yeah, they were just talking about growing the company. He said the best advice he, some of the best advice he got early on, I think it was from Paul Graham. And Paul Graham said that it's better to have 100 fans who absolutely love you than 1 million fans who just kind of like you. And well, I think that this specifically applies to the early early points in a business. Because I think as you scale a company, you're obviously not going to be able to keep the same rate of diehard fans within that 1 million. You can probably have 100 fans. 100 diehard fans, sorry. And like over time, a million people, like some people are only going to sort of like you. That's just, the just as it grows, that's just naturally going to happen. But the, the essence of that, of what Paul Graham was telling Brian was, was that if you have a, those 100 people 
that absolutely love your company, they're at least at a minimum going to tell one person. That means 100 new people. And if you can make those 100 people absolutely love you, then they're going to at least tell another 100 people. And it just grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. So if you can focus on building those fans that absolutely love your company, love your brand, love your product, love you if you're a personal brand, that's going to go so much further. And how, and you may be wondering, how do you, how do you get those 100 fans, those diehard fans? How do you get them? And how do you do it quickly? And you can't actually do it quickly. That's the problem. Because after listening to this Brian Chesky interview, what I realized is to get those 100 diehard fans, you have, you have to do things that don't scale. You think that you, the only way you develop diehard, real diehard fans is doing things that don't scale. If you want to throw it back all the way to episode three, 99 episodes ago with Josh Reyes, that's something he said on this podcast is don't scale to scale. In episode number three, 2018, Josh Reyes, don't scale, do things that don't scale to scale. And that's because when you do things that don't scale, that's how you create those true fans. And in Airbnb's case, what they did. I know this, I just, I recently watched this video and I want to talk about it and it relates to what Drew's talking about by showing support to the fans you already have is what they ended up doing is they ended up going to every single city early on that had hosts. They go visit and meet with the 10 to 20 people or so that were hosts in that city. And they would talk to them and they'd take their feedback and they'd understand about the experience and what's working and what's not working. And then they'd apply that to the business. But what was happening was, is at that time, of course, and this was more effective in non in cities like that weren't San Francisco, LA, and New York, where internet companies coming to visit you in the late 2010s to talk about your experience was rare in a city like Boston. Like that didn't happen at that point in time. It happened in New York, it happened in LA, but it didn't happen in Boston or in Kansas City. And they just went to these different cities and they'd ask people about their experience and what it's like being a host on their platform. And this was such a new concept for these people. This was so above and beyond. It wasn't necessarily scalable to go visit all of your hosts in person, but that's what they did. And and it stood out to the hosts. And once the, like it made such an impact on the host that the hosts started telling all of their friends about this company coming to visit them, this company from San Francisco, flying all the way across the country to Boston to talk about the service and how it's going and things they can do to improve. And they would even do photo shoots for these people to help them get high quality imagery, to help them get more people booking at their, at their Airbnb. And it was just, and they would tell all their friends about this amazing thing that happened with this company. And it, it's, you can't scale that. You can't do that exponentially quicker. You can't be in six places at once. You have to do it city by city. And yes, I understand you can hire people, but it was the founders of this company themselves. You can't just have more founders in multiple cities on the same day. They had to go city by city. Doesn't scale, but it helped them scale. And that's just the takeaway here. With the people that, with the people that are your fans, you have to spend time with them one-on-one. That's the one of the only, like, of course, you can create diehard fans in some situations, not one-on-one. But one-on-one is such an effective way to get those diehard fans. If we even look back two episodes ago to episode 100 with Hayden, one thing that I've noticed with Hayden now, granted the episode with Noah from last week and Drew's episode haven't come out yet at the time of recording this specific podcast. But one thing I noticed with the Hayden episode is there was such a positive reaction and Hayden would get tons of comments. And part of the reason I realized as to why that's happening with Hayden versus I've interviewed people that have many more followers than Hayden, but I've gotten less of a response. 
is Hayden has done such a good job one-to-one with all of his, with his followers. He tries to message as many of them as possible. He tries to meet as many in person or jump on a call. And he does that actively. It's something that he prioritizes and he's developed such a tight community that will follow him pretty much wherever he goes and whatever his interests are. He's created these diehard fans by one-to-one interaction. And back to Drew, if you, then, so you need to focus on the fans that are there and you have to do that by showing showing support for your fans and you have to do that in a one-to-one basis and that's what's going to allow you to create those lifelong supporters as drew said who will become your most effective marketing tool or will become your marketing department with word of mouth and those one-to-one interactions are extremely important and something that people often forget because to drew's point people get so caught up in the new fan the new follower the new customer the new consumer they forget about the people that are there and supporting them already and those are the most important people that you have I almost want to just end the podcast there. That was such a great rant. I don't even want to go on any further, but I do have, I think I have two more takeaways here. And the first one, we'll start with the minor one here, but it's players becoming content creators. That's what we talked about. We talked about some guys in the NBA bubble coming out with vlogs. We talked about Indianapolis Colts player that I found that was doing a vlog with his girlfriend through college, actually. And so when he was playing or he practicing or whatever, his girlfriend would fill in the gaps and vlog herself. So they're like a dynamic duo. I wish I knew his name off the top of my head, but I don't. But JaVale McGee in the NBA has been doing a vlog. Uh, Matias Taboul, I know I butchered that name. I apologize, but he's been doing a vlog for and he plays for the 76ers. And Drew mentioned a goalie on the Leafs that has been doing a vlog and also a a player for the San Jose Sharks who's not actually in the bubble, but he's just vlogging himself. And I think it's interesting to see this, this happening with these younger athletes starting to, to create content. And what I'm realizing as I'm watching this is I'm like, well, like how do these guys, did these guys watch Casey Neistat? Like, were they, were they not did, like, how did this happen? And then I realized that a lot of these athletes are my age, if not younger that we're talking about that have been creating content. And trust me, that throws you for a loop when you start to realize you're older than some of the athletes. Like when you're a kid growing up admiring an athlete is one thing, but then when you realize you're older than them, you're like, whoa, and that messes with you. But the point I'm trying to make here is these kids, these players, these athletes grew up as on the internet. They were raised on the internet. They were raised on YouTube, watching people like Casey Neistat, like a David Dobrik. They've been watching them as they grew up and they've left an impression on them to where they've reached the top of their career they're professional athletes in the top league in the world at their sport but they still have an itch and a desire to create content because watching these content creators growing up has left such an impression on them so we're going to start to see this more and more and more with as younger professional athletes make it to the pros they'll have grown up watching vloggers and they're going to want to do that themselves and that is going to be such an interesting thing to watch because what we just watched with the last dance was we're never going to see something like the last dance again because we never ever had that access to Michael Jordan and to the players of that era. And the fact that they followed them around for an entire year and then they sat on it for 20 years and released it is crazy because we've never had that access, especially to a player like Michael Jordan ever, period. Never had that kind of access. We're on the plane, we're on the bus with Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Like that's crazy. But then you go on YouTube right now and you go on Matias Taboul's vlog you go to the vlog day one he's jumping on the bus with like ben simmons and what 
I can't remember his name. I cannot believe Jalil. No, Jalil Okafor. Um, Joel Embiid. I cannot believe I just did that. But he's getting on the bus and he's like, he's the rookie. So he's grabbing like the pregame Chick-fil-A and he's running onto the plane. And like you see these NBA players on the, and it's just like, and it's raw and real and an angle we've never seen before to that degree. Cause like with the last dance, it was very produced and it was very much with the it was very much professionally done versus with these players like mcgee and tamu like it's just on their on their vlog camera but it's it's raw and real and an angle we've never seen before but we're going to start to see more and more and more it's going to become more common as these players make the pros want to continue being content creators and we're going to get this un, unparalleled access we've never seen before because one it was already hard to come by before because we weren't getting that access but two once you got that access it was through the lens of an espn or something like that, who has their big cameras back there. We've never seen a player content creator. Like, it was very rare where the players were doing the documentation. It was never happening before. But it's happening now. It's going to continue to happen more and more and more. And it's just going to be so exciting. It seems so interesting to watch as more of these players become content creators. And we get this access that fans crave. But we're not just getting the access. We're also getting the personalities. Because players will interact no matter what you do. A player will interact differently with another player than they will with a cameraman for ESPN. And so we're going to get access to one, just the behind the scenes physically, but we're going to get access emotionally to seeing these players, what they're really like with their peers, with no one's involved. And I think this is, this is an exciting time to be a sports fan. It's an exciting time to be a consumer of content. I think this is going to be really fun to watch over the next few years three four five years as players just start to become content creators it's going to be so interesting and like i said it's a great time to be a sports fan and a fan of youtube it's cool i think it's really exciting and the last the last point which we've talked about many many times on these takeaways episodes and is that you don't have to be great to start but you have to start to be great We've never talked about that specific quote before, but we have talked about starting. Starting, that's my number one advice whenever I am on a podcast as a guest. And people often ask me, what's your, like if what's the best piece of advice you can give the audience or something like that. And I've defaulted to this for probably the last year. Just start, just start. Don't make an excuse. Don't tell me why you can't, which I guess is an excuse, but don't wait, just start. You're going to learn so much by starting, by thinking like, and I always tell this, it took me six months to start this podcast. We could be at episode like 130 by now, but we're not because I just, I debated and I wanted to get the right gear and I had to make sure I knew how to use the gear and I, and all this stuff. I had to make sure I knew how to use the gear. I had to make sure I was ready. I had to make sure I had a name, had a good cover art. Although I will say I'm glad my cover art is in a martini, which was a genuine possibility at one point, a martini glass, because that literally made like a social, anyways, that was like a social event, but I digress. Well, I'm glad, I'm happy my podcast ended up. I just think of where could it have been if I'd started six months earlier when I first got podcast gear. Instead of waiting and thinking and debating and all this stuff, I just, I eventually just started. And here we are today. And I learned so much and I spent six months preparing and I still think the audio on my first podcast was awful. No matter how much you prepare, that first one's always going to stress you out. You're always going to be nervous. You're always going to be worried. And there's going to be mistakes. There's always going to be mistakes. But mistakes allow you to learn. And the quote here that I read at the beginning of this rant was that was one that Drew really likes. You you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start to be great. Just think about that. Every single great person on earth had to start somewhere. 
everyone has to start. Everyone has to begin. Everyone has to take that first step. No one starts at step 100. Some people might be able to skip a few steps, of course, but you always have to take that first one. And it might seem scary, and it probably is, depending on what you're doing. But another thing we've talked about is you have to get out of your comfort zone if you want to grow. And you don't have to be great to start. A lot of people want, because they, in a, in a context, let's go back to these YouTubers, to a Casey Neistat. You grew up watching Casey Neistat. And you see these incredible vlogs that are so well done. They're cinematic. It's like you're watching a seven-minute movie every single day. And you're, just, you're used to when you watch a finished product of a vlog, that's the quality you're used to seeing. And then you start and you make your own vlog yourself. And you realize that you finish it, you edit it, you're done, you're watching it back and you go, wow, this is shit. <laughs> like that's been me. Like when I try to vlog, like the quality I'm expecting is Casey Neistat, but the quality I'm getting is Jacob Kelly making his first vlog or his second vlog or his third vlog. But that's pretty much inevitable. You're not going to be amazing off the get. You're going to have to work at it and iterate. And the crazy thing is, is that, so understand this, you're going to have to put out bad content to get to the good content. You have to, you're not going to be amazing at the beginning. You're going to start putting out bad videos, bad vlogs. We'll continue with this example. You're going to put out bad vlogs, okay? And let's just say you have to put out 20 bad vlogs before you start to make some good ones. That means that if your vlogs are bad, if you have to put out 20 bad vlogs, you have to put out 20 bad vlogs. You can't skip them and get to the good one. So the sooner you start, the sooner you start putting out those bad vlogs, the sooner you're going to get to putting out good vlogs. You're not going to be able to put out, you're not going to be able to skip that step. You've got to put out those 20 bad vlogs. And the further you put off starting, the further you put off actually getting to those good ones. Those 20 bad vlogs are never going to go away. You push it a day, those 20 vlogs, 20 bad vlogs, they also get pushed a day. And the more and more days that you keep pushing, the further those 20 bad vlogs get. You have to go through them to get to the good one. And a lot of people don't want to do that because a lot of people don't want to look like they're failing or bad or in public. Well, here's, here's, where, you could, here's where you could do that. Don't post them. You do them, but don't post them. If you genuinely want to be good at it, then practice, practice before you start. Not start, but like start doing it and you don't actually have to post it. You can still do a podcast. Posting it isn't necessarily a part of the process. Posting it is what you can do once you're done if you want to. But you're not, but you, you can start. You don't have to post it. Posting isn't starting. You can just put in the work. Make sure you start because you don't have to be great to start. You just have to start to be great. And I think you, you listening, I'm talking to you directly. You have the opportunity, you have the ability to be great. And I'm asking you to just start. But. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. Whether you listen the entire way through, you only listen to bits and pieces. I really appreciate you taking the time to check this out. I was probably 10 minutes in and I was like, oh, I think I'm running out of material here. I don't think this pod, this takeaways is going to last much longer. But here we are for 35 minutes in one of the longest takeaways episodes, if not the longest I've ever recorded, which is crazy to think about now that I'm looking at this number on the screen here. But Thank you, seriously. If you listen to this, if you're listening to this part, I appreciate you listening to me just rant for the last half hour plus. It really means a lot to me that you 
that you sit through these. I love doing these takeaways. Sometimes I learn a little about myself. I put the pieces together, like dropping in that Brian Chesky Airbnb thing that I would not intend to have to include in here. I didn't write it down anywhere, but as I was talking, those puzzle pieces just fit together. This is a lot of fun. So like I said, whether you listen the entire way through, you only listen to bits and pieces, I really appreciate you taking the time to check this out. Do me a big favor, go and follow Drew, go and follow Cohen Media. I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below. If you'd like to follow me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. At, at the Jacob Kelly, at, at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. If you like to chat about anything I talk about in this takeaways, I'd love to hear from you. And also, if you enjoy this podcast, please consider leaving a rating and a review. The more positive ratings and reviews you get, the more it helps when people find this show and it really helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And also, if you want to follow the podcast, you can find us on Instagram and at my social life podcast or YouTube by searching up my social life. If you enjoy this, be sure to share it to your Instagram story. Tag myself at the Jacob Kelly, and I will feature you on my account and send you a message as well. As always, today's podcast is powered by TrueFan. Thank you once again for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon.